It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's great to have a dishwasher, but sometimes you just want to put on rubber gloves and stick your hands in and then notice that there's corn in the sink that you want to wash down the drain. And no matter how much water you pour in the different places to try and get the stream to move the corn into the hole, it just will not go, no matter what. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. And sitting in the Annabelle chair this week, comedian and writer and host of the Haunted podcast, Danny Robbins. Hello. Hello. I'm an energy matcher, I've noticed about myself doing these uh, guest co-hosts. So I feel like if you bring a lot of energy, I'll go quite hyper. But the more downbeat you are, the more sort of downbeat I'll get as well. So I wonder where you will end up being on the scale. Well, I was once described in the review as like Tigger on speed. Okay, so that bodes well then. Energetic, probably. And um, I had a review the other day, actually, which described me as uh, having an exuberance that bordered on mad camp. <laughs> which then kind of threw me and made me quite aware. Every time I recorded anything after that, I was like, mad camp. You know, that, that, that felt... That's an uh, awful thing to be self-conscious about your own exuberance. I know, I know. Because it's, it's, it's undoubtedly the thing that's probably propelled you to where you are in life. And now you've, you've become sort of hyper aware of it. I think what's, what threw me was that I felt I was being low key and that my low key had manifested itself as exuberance. <laughs> so I, I sort of felt like my entire way of looking at the world was thrown, you know. <laughs> So, um, so the last time we met was we we were at some. Danny and I know each other a little bit in real life, and we're friends on Facebook. And um, the last time we saw each other in the flesh, I'm guessing was ballpark eight years ago, when we were were, were both gone to see something. We were in the same room, and I'd gone along with a mutual friend of ours, and we'd had a little chat before this particular. It's all kind of a performance, but not quite. Um, and then afterwards, there was a bit of mingling. And you came over and I felt that you very pointedly said goodbye to my friend, but not to me. And it's really been eating away at me ever since. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, th- I felt like it was a very deliberate, uh, d- nice to see you, Dave, bye. And and then no specific goodbye f- for me. Did I know your friend? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't just, <laughs> that would make it even worse yes. if I hadn't known Yeah, that. yeah. Oh gosh! Oh my goodness! And and this has been festering. Was this a Swedish concert? It was. It was. Um, it was a Lucia concert, which happens actually around this time of year that we're recording this now. There is another Lucia concert happening this week that my wife is singing in. Mm. So if you wanted, you could come to that, and we could recreate the scenario. Right. And I could say a really exuberant goodbye to you. Maybe that. Maybe that is the is the way to go. If you go to a party, do you say goodbye as you're leaving? Would you just sneak out? I, I think I've started sneaking out recently, actually. And I think this could be an age thing. I think that the days of feeling vital to a party have kind of slipped out of my fingers now. I think there was a time when I felt I needed to be there for myself, to meet people, to put myself out there, and also the party needed me. And now I sort of feel aware of a kind of a uselessness and a sort of faded grandeur. Right. I, th- I think there is an arrogance to a big lever. People who make a big song and dance yeah. about leaving a party. Big up, we out now. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that thing. Like, Well, I know the party's probably, it's probably going to die off very quickly without me, but I thought I'd make sure that I will grace you all with a goodbye. No, no, no one cares. Just, just sneak out. Well, it's that excruciating thing as well when you interrupt someone's conversation to say goodbye and you suddenly realise that they don't really care. Yes, so we're sitting here in December and it's Christmas party season. Uh, how's that looking for you this year? Are you attending any? Have you managed to avoid it? The ones I've been invited to are all very unglamorous ones where comedy writers get together and these are all men in knitwear and glasses 
and uh, all slightly bitter as well, <laughs> all complaining about people who commission stuff in television and radio. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's it. I remember the old days where you'd get invited to places with like sort of, uh, you know, female torsos made out of ice and, right. and corners and vodka luges and, you know, acrobats and, and people on stilts. And If that invitation came through your uh, letterbox in 2017, though, would you welcome it or would you just be... Th- so any time I'm invited to anything, the first thing I'm doing is thinking, how can I get out of going to this? Are you that jaded yet? I think you get the parent fear. I think that now as a parent of two children, I know you've got one, and, and yeah. like, you get this thing where, I, particularly me as a writer as well, I spend my entire day locked in a shed at the bottom of the garden writing. And then if I, when I do go into the house and see people, they're small people who bombard <laughs> me with questions. And, um, and I can't function like a normal human being. I don't know how to talk to real people. So if I go to that party, I know that sounds will come out of my mouth that won't make sense. And <laughs> I just feel like, you know, I'll career over some sort of cliff of embarrassment. I have got some excellent small talk about In the Night Garden. Oh, okay. But, it, but it's a very niche audience. This this is my problem. If if I could be guaranteed that I was going to a party and I was only going to talk about the BBC Babies programme in the Night Garden, I, I think I would be a big hit. But as it is, I just panic. Yeah, I never thought about that. So, you, you know, because um, uh, Danny as well as doing the Haunted podcast, uh, writes a lot of stuff. He has a fantastic sitcom on BBC Radio 4, Cold Swedish Winter. Um, but you, I guess you are either cocooned in amongst your own writing or, or you're talking to babies. So, so how are you dealing with it? You, you still drink, right? <laughs> I, I do. You I still do. have that lubricant. Parents split into two camps, don't they? Either they stop drinking or they drink too much. I, I remember reading about Simon Pegg and Nick Frost both having given up drinking when parentdom hit them. Right. I think you face that choice. And I, I certainly have friends who can no longer drink. Like, you know, who, there's a guy I know who lives in Sweden, actually. And in Sweden, you have different categories of alcohol. So you have um, folk earl, melon earl, stark earl, uh, and let earl as well. So it's different percentages of alcohol. So the bottom of the spectrum is like 0.2% and the top stark earl is, you know, over 5%. But one of these tiny no-alcohol beers will now send him into drunkenness and and, uh, <laughs> and embarrassingness. And I can find that creeping into me now as well. I think I get drunk quicker. Right. And I don't know, is that age? Is that being a parent? Is it tiredness? It's difficult. To, so, uh, Danny, um, your wife is Swedish, yeah, right? Yeah. And I, I've spent, due to a chain of events, I've spent a, a lot of my life in Sweden. And all the time, really, I spent in Sweden was since I've stopped drinking. And trying to explain to a Swede that you don't drink any alcohol can can be quite difficult, really. The Swedes, they have a very curious relationship with alcohol. Mm. They had a a vote, a plebiscite in the 1920s. At the same time, America got rid of alcohol when they had prohibition. And they voted uh, just really narrowly to keep it, like about 1%, I think, to keep it. And there was this famous advertising campaign, this great Swedish artist had designed a campaign that basically said crayfish need these drinks and there's a real thing ingrained in the Swedish year which is the crayfish party you might have been yes, to one yeah. of you. And, and they sit around they drink schnapps and, and eat crayfish and basically the crayfish won this vote that <laughs> the, the Swedes couldn't imagine eating crayfish and not drinking but now the result of it is that alcohol still has this kind of forbidden quality yeah it's weird so so and I have been a, a vegetarian teetotaler at a crayfish party which is an unusual <laughs> experience to say the least but it, it's like there's this abstinence in Sweden, which during the week, and it would almost be quite judged, I think, if somebody was uh, drinking at times which weren't considered socially acceptable, for example, a Wednesday evening. And then on a weekend or during the summer or at Christmas, they, they... Adults, people in their 40s and 50s, drink like when people first go to university and go to freshers' balls and things. It's- there is this strange thing with Swedes of them kind of being your best mate whilst junk- drunk and then completely ignoring <laughs> you the next day. And the, the, the kind yeah. of worst story I heard along these lines was an American friend of mine who'd moved to Sweden just after 9-11 at a point where America's reputation was at a real low. I mean, obviously, it's got a lot lower now. But, but at that point, you know, with because George, of George, w. George Bush, Bush yeah. around. And... and um, and people basically kind of hated him because he was an American. And he found it very hard to break into Swedish society. And one night he went out, and it was the first time in Sweden he sort of felt accepted. He went out, met these guys in a bar, got talking to them, felt great, swapped emails with them. And the next day he emailed this guy and said, it was great to meet you last night. Uh, you know, let's do it again. And the guy just sent back a one-line email saying, I didn't mean to give you my email address. 
<laughs> it was the, the ultimate cut you dead after drinking. Oh my god, that's so harsh. I know, I know. So he's wonderful. never really recovered. Uh, he's basically had eight or nine very unhappy years in Sweden. Excuse me, do you have any wood? Jeff Lloyd in a bellport, adrift. Ooh, I'm in the stream. Some email. This first one comes from Colin Rowley, who says, here's a tale for you from my younger days. I'm now old enough to look back at my younger self with wry amusement rather than abject embarrassment. I look forward to hitting that age. Do you think you're anywhere near there yet, Danny? Uh, I'd like to think I'm approaching. (laughs) Um, Creeping. When working, I was lucky enough to get to go to the US on business many times which I enjoyed immensely. On my first solo trip in my early 20s, I was picked up from the airport by a very senior US scientist and had a long drive with him to the facility that we were visiting. The journey went very well up to the point where this quite straight-laced man suddenly, out of the blue, asked me what sort of condoms we have in the UK. (laughs) I was taken aback, but wishing to impress the guy, started telling him about ribbed ones... (laughs) Flavoured ones, knobbly ones, not to mention vibrating ones, and even glow-in-the-dark ones. The conversation then lapsed as the journey progressed. With growing horror, I then realised that the poor chap had actually asked me what sort of condos, condominiums, (laughs) we have in the UK. It seemed like an eternity until we got to our destination, and luckily I didn't see the guy again. I wonder if he still remembers the embarrassing journey as clearly as I do. I'm retired now, and with age comes great wisdom. Uh, Well, the wisdom to know that you really need a good sense of humour to get through life. uh, That is wonderful. That's quite something, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that is the sort of thing. It's, It's good to know that, Perhaps there is a point in life where these things start resolving themselves and you don't just want to curl up in the fetal position every time you think, every time you recall the memory of stuff. I find that as I get older, I get more uncomfortable, which I'm sure isn't supposed to happen. Yeah, I think so. Is it because we feel that maybe the world has moved on and that you feel like you're not tuning in to what people you would consider to be cool are talking about? I'll tell you... What it what life feels like to me a lot of the time is like walking in halfway through a conversation and thinking you know what the conversation is about, but not being quite sure and trying to just nod in all the right places. I think that's a pretty good metaphor for life generally. Oh, definitely. I, I feel like I, I've been learning Swedish recently. And I feel like I spend my entire life in Sweden like that, not quite understanding, hoping, right. uh, hoping I'm contributing the right thing and quite possibly saying entirely the wrong right. thing. Right. So th- that I think is uh, that's how I go through life sort of generally oh, in good. my first language. <laughs> um, this comes from Mark Wickens, who says, I was listening to the podcast this week and one of your listeners' story caused me to have a flashback to one of my own barely human moments. I wear a fitness tracker and I like to try and reach my daily steps target. To achieve this, I often go for a stroll during my lunch break to a small nature reserve about a five minutes walk from my office. This nature reserve is really nothing more than a pond and some grass fenced off from a busy main road, but it makes a change from the office all the same. Like many fenced off locations and countryside locations, it has a kissing gate style entrance, and frequently I'll hold it open for other oncoming ramblers as I enter, as any civil member of society would. One day... I entered the nature reserve. I saw a dog walker and a buoyant-looking dog approaching me, the dog ten or so yards ahead of the dog walker. Being a polite human being, I naturally held the gate open for the dog, only then to realise I'd let this dog out onto a busy main road. Fearing I'd just led the dog to its death, I scrambled after it, hoping to call it back in, but it just ran away from me. To my relief, it was an obedient dog and sat still while its owner called and was put safely back on its lead. But since then, I've been very wary making eye contact with any dog walkers in the area, just in case they think I'm out to murder their dog. Please, can you help me try and understand why I felt the need to be polite to a dog? Um, I'm so glad that ended well. Yeah, I know, it yeah. for a moment there. Because there's no real coming back from something bad happening to a dog. Oh, no, human no. being, you can generally pull it back round again. But What if you killed a human being? And... <laughs> yeah, maybe not in life. I mean, that takes some rebuilding. <laughs> but in terms of a, a humorous story, yeah, I think yeah. like humans being injured is one thing, animals being injured. like People really find it difficult to get on board with that. It reminded me of somebody I know who killed Delia Smith's cat. What? Yeah, uh, they were working on a uh, programme that was being recorded at Delia Smith's house. And um, she wouldn't let them use the toilet in her house. 
So they were recording this cookery program. In, I mean, there's in there's a great detail just to yeah. be started off with. Yeah. <laughs> She's the Kenneth Williams of, uh, <laughs> of the cooking scene. But uh, but so she had put a portaloo in her garden. But this this well this portaloo was being sort of brought in by a crane. I don't know if you've seen this before, where a portaloo is lowered in by crane into something. Yes. Somewhere. And um, and basically the portaloo was lowered on top of Delia Smith's cat. <sighs> And whoever had been responsible for this had to sort of go and tell Delia and say, I'm really sorry, Delia, but we have killed your cat with a toilet. I'm dying to know what show that was so that I can go yeah. back and watch it and see if I can spot cat grief. I should say, as I, as I tell this, I have no idea who told me this. It's faded into the mists of time. So <laughs> it Delia, might not have been Delia Smith. It might be Fanny Craddock. It's possible. It's an urban myth. And um, no legal action should be taken. Wow. That's a, that's a fantastic, um, fantastic story even if it's not true. Uh, and this one comes from uh, Delmaza, who says, I think that's how I'm saying that name. Apologies if I get it wrong. I was once waiting for a friend to pick me up in Chichester. Um, and as I had a while, I decided to walk around the cathedral. It's very pretty. There was organ music playing and some people were sitting and listening. So I decided to take a pew. As I said, I had a while. I listened for a couple of minutes and realised I was at a service when the vicar came in and stood up at the front. I prepared myself to sneak out, but as I stood up, so did the rest of the congregation, who all turned to face the back. I followed their gaze in what felt like slow motion to see a procession of people walking down the aisle with a coffin bringing up the rear. Uh, the problem was I then realised my situation was so ridiculous that I wanted to laugh, which is obviously not okay at a funeral. I managed to suppress the urge until I was safely outside. So what would you do in that situation? Would you wait out the funeral? Oh, I don't know. I, I, but I think this is interesting, this instinct to laugh. Like Often in these extreme situations, your body goes into this kind of spasm of laughter, doesn't mm. it? I mean, even I think if you had been at the funeral like invited to the funeral there is a danger that in some situations you might react in that nervous way of yeah of i don't think nervous laughter at a funeral is uncommon is it no. but um yeah that's a very hard one it's, it's very hard to run down the aisle at that point as the yeah coming towards you and i mean unless you feign being consumed with grief being so grief stricken like a sicilian widow or something that you have to leave the church it's layers go. of deceit though isn't it yeah um we'd love to hear from you if you have any stories of um your your failed attempts at human interaction, you can email hello at adriftpodcast.com. You will be reminded of this show and this feeling. Adrift. When you wake up. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port, Adrift. So as I mentioned before, Danny and I, uh, one of the things we have in common is this this love of Sweden. And um, Cold Swedish Winter is your sitcom which goes out on BBC Radio 4. How many series of that have there been We've now? done three and we're doing another one next year. And... I, people will sometimes say to me, oh, Sweden, I mean, they've obviously got things going well as a society, but they're so boring and no sense of humour. And in my experience, like the opposite is true. Yeah, I think there's a, a real strain of eccentricness in the Swedes. Yes. And they're also, they're real Anglophiles. So they really look to us, you know, we look to them a lot now politically and culturally and socially. But, but in terms of like fiction and humour and films and TV, they're very interested in us. Like almost the most popular programme in Sweden is Midsummer Murders. Oh, yeah, they're, they're crazy about they that They love show. it. Yeah, and I don't know if that's just because Midsummer is the biggest Swedish holiday of the year and they just like something with Midsummer in the yeah, title. Yeah, I think it's, maybe. It's, it's like weird... suddenly someone noticed us. There's, there's an old joke, actually, about, um, about the Swedes. About these, uh, there's an American, a Frenchman, and uh, a Swede, and they're on safari, and they see this elephant, and uh, the American says, oh, my God, what an incredible animal. Look at those tusks, how much money I could make out of that. And the, the Frenchman says, what a beautiful animal, elephant, it's incredible i love this animal and the swede says i wonder what the elephant thinks of sweden (laughs) (laughs) and i think they they have captured us they've they've conquered us by stealth through ikea and h&m and abba and swedes produce almost all of the music we listen to is made by swedish songwriters and producers but they're still insecure about being this small country that people think is boring is your Swedish uh, at a level now where you can watch Swedish comedy and, and enjoy it? Yes, totally. I, I went to see a whole stand-up routine in Swedish the other day and did kind of understand it. I, I've got to quite a good level, actually. I think I've got to a level where I can say everything I want and, and um, maybe I've got a bit lazy as a result, actually. I'm slightly right. coasting now. We had a co-host in the podcast last week was Jane Fallon, who is uh, Ricky 
Gervais is. It's never a good phrase. She was using boyfriend a lot, but I sort of feel like if you've been with somebody since 1984, there's a lack of substance to the word boyfriend. But there's, the, you know, common law husband doesn't quite do the job either. In Swedish, they've got a great word, actually. They've got sambo. Yeah, sambo, which just means that you live together. And, and there's different variants on it. There's mambo, which is living with your mother. Um, <laughs> and brilliantly, brobo, which means that you live on either side of the bridge between Denmark and Sweden. So one person lives in Copenhagen, one person lives in Malmö. <laughs> Um, Serbo, which is that you're you're kind of separated but still living together, I think. And right. they, they, they love it. That The Swedes are really into their kind of little pigeonhole descriptions. Like yes, that. it's a good one. But anyway, um, Jane was saying that Ricky, his favourite places to play are Scandinavia. And I was saying, is there a delay, though? Is there like a half second between a joke's delivery and then the laugh coming? And, you know, she says not not at all in those Nordic countries. The level of English is good. No, so yeah. good. There's no no delay at all. No, it's incredible. I, I did a tour all around Sweden and into Finland and, and absolutely, yeah. But it's, it's a different response. They, they like to listen and take it in and they're not big laughers. Mm. Uh, so that might be, <laughs> because Jane was saying well. they were in hysterics at what Ricky was saying. <laughs> but uh, definitely afterwards, people come up and would say, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, yeah. but, um, so something that happens, I wonder if this is something you've encountered because you've worked in entertainment over there, you know, touring and what have you. But I remember being in a, uh, um, a bar in Stockholm once and it was really beautiful it was wintry it was very cosy there are candles on the tables and they you know because it's dark so much of the year they really know how to get this sort of cosy atmosphere you know we heard a lot last year about hygge mm-hmm. in uh, Danish the Swedish is like misik misik um and anyway, this place looked especially beautiful to me. So I had a camera at the time. It was before cameras were on phones. And I was just trying to get just the right picture of this place. Anyway, a guy comes over to me and goes, can you can you stop that, please? It's our own private time. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And it turned out that the other side of the bar was some huge Swedish celebrity. Uh, it was a TV presenter or, or, or singer or whatever she was. And it looked like I was just sitting there taking photographs of her drinking at a bar. <laughs> but I got no, no idea who she was because, of course, countries have their own cultures. And when there's that language division, it's quite you know, it's it's quite difficult to to cross to, to have a knowledge of what's going on. Oh, no, in the t- totally, totally. I I have had that thing actually where you go across and, and you meet somebody who is famous in Sweden, and, and we have people in our show in the, the Radio Four sitcom who are very famous there. But it's so hard to judge how famous someone is in another country. Do you find that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and and I remember having a conversation actually with this guy who's massive in Finland and Sweden. He's one of the the Finnish Swedes or the Swedish Finns. You know, they they're, they're bilingual, and um. And we were having this conversation after a while. He was like, you know, so are you famous in the UK? And I was like, not really, no. And I said, are you famous in Finland? He was like, yeah, I'm massively famous. But it's this strange kind of, you know, everyone's on one level when they're transplanted out of their own country. Yeah, I remember interviewing once, uh, if people are fans of The Bridge, I interviewed not the Swede, actually, the Dane. Okay, his his yeah, real yeah. name is Kim Bodnia. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he played Martin Rudd in, in that show. And... I was saying, so just just as a just to give me some idea, like in Denmark, what is your status as an actor? He said, well, a lot of people describe me as um, as the Danish Marlon Brando, and I laughed because he was making a joke. But he's had this sort of long career in Denmark and, and serious career, and he is thought of as the Danish Marlon Brando, and it's quite disarming to have that matter of factness of somebody um, describing themselves in that way. But also, you feel very disrespectful when you're saying, like, come on, you, you can't be that famous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but um, I did once become massively famous in the Faroe Islands. Okay, tell me more. Um, the Faroe Islands between sort of Scotland and Iceland, and they yeah, belong to Denmark, is that right? exactly right, yeah. 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 And, and um, it basically means the sheep islands, of, of far and uh, right. far as sheep. Um, but it's, it's tiny, it's 48,000 people. And uh, I had this idea. You know how, like, the, the, being a, a writer, presenter, whatever, in this sort of world, your life is littered with things that were great ideas that never happened. Yes. So this is one of those. This was an idea I had, which was about becoming famous in small countries around the world. I figured, you know, if you were going to break somewhere, go to the smallest place possible. So I went to the Faroe Islands and basically for a week tried to get really famous. And at the end of this week, uh, I had been on their... Uh, national uh, news program they, they have like one tv news program every night which beautifully um is meant to start at seven o'clock but doesn't always because sometimes they're not ready <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
And I had met their prime minister. I had, I'd had waffles. The prime minister made me waffles at his house. Uh, and I performed at this amazing festival on a beach to this crowd of about 7,000 people, which is uh, doing maths now in my head, something like maybe like a fifth of their population, right. sort of sixth of their population. And, and, um, and did this song, the Faroe Islands rap, which I'd made and, and basically became really famous. And I was signing people's body parts and, and you know, people would stop me in the street. What year was this? Uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was a sort of few years back. I mean, I guess maybe like five years ago. So have you been back to the Faroe Islands uh, subsequently? I, I haven't. And I'd, I'd like to go back and see if the famous stuck around. Did you ever see that documentary, um, Searching for Sugarman? Uh, I haven't seen it. No, I've right, heard a lot about, about it. Right, about the musician yeah, yeah. who uh, whose legend grew mm. in South Africa over a number of decades, <laughs> yeah. and then suddenly he finds out that he released one of these seminal albums, and he goes back and gets this hero's welcome. Maybe you could go back to the Faroe Islands in ten years, and and the same thing would happen for you. Uh, and maybe see like sort of massive effigies of me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a, a tribe that worships Prince Philip somewhere in the world? Is that right? I think so. I think some remote, maybe Polynesian island has a kind of religious cult around Prince Philip. Well, they've obviously never heard what he's said about them. <laughs> Insensitive <laughs> yes. remarks. True, true. <laughs> it's like smashing he, he those is an angry Old Testament God. <laughs> Later, when you go for a walk, you can take the show with you so that you're not left with your thoughts because we know what's going on there and it's just, it's, it's quite scary. You should probably consult a doctor or you should maybe get a dog and then walk with your dog or steal a dog, but just um, dogs can help you because they suck up your dangerous thoughts. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. It's that point in the podcast where I would like to ask you for some money. Um, Never comfortable, but I'm trying to get better at it. Uh, If you enjoy spending time listening to these stories of failed human interactions, um, then thank you, first of all. But if you consider it worthy of your time, then why not donate to our uh, Patreon? Go to patreon.com stroke adrift. You've got me thinking that maybe the Faroe Islands are perhaps, you know, ripe for tapping up for some money. Well, the big, big wool industry is big there, right? Yeah, and they've been quite proactive recently. They managed to get themselves on Google Maps by attaching cameras to sheep. Really? Yeah, this was a big thing. They won some prize within the tourism industry for it. But they basically fixed cameras to sheep and the sheep wandered around taking the Google Street View. So instead of having the car go around... You yeah, just exactly, exactly. That's, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. very, very... It was a beautiful marriage of, of technology and, you know, just kind of... <laughs> animals roaming around a, a, a kind of ancient landscape you're inspired also i'm wondering if like maybe some woolen merchandise could be the the way to go faroe island jumpers you know the killing uh, the nordic um, noir yeah the nordic noir massive kind of thing that sort of burst that scene in the uk um well the jumper that um the lead character wore in that sarah um, lund yeah sarah lund yeah was from this little place a uh, little shop in the faroe islands and they're Incredibly expensive, but they are totally waterproof. So when I went to this festival in the Faroe Islands, everybody's out dancing in the rain in these jumpers. And they've got this natural thing in the, you know, this natural kind of oil within the, the wool that stops the water going through. Aha. Uh-huh. Itchy, though. Are they itchy? Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Faroe Islands, I mean, there is an untapped territory. Um, I'll have to look at the stats, actually. I don't know if we've had a listener in the Faroe Islands yet. Have you, do you know if you've retra- retained any of your fan base? Because you, you do the Haunted podcast, you can yeah, see yeah. where people are listening. Yeah, no, this is the interesting thing. We, have, we know we have one Iraqi listener. Right. Uh, so I should look into the Faroe Islands. I think Islands. we do, too. I wonder if it's do the you? same one. <laughs> Just like a big it would be nice. <laughs> um, anyway, so that, um, that Patreon page again. If you want to make a small contribution, it's hugely appreciated. Go to patreon.com stroke adrift. Hi, uh, do you mind if uh, just signing on this uh, clipboard? Uh, it's just $4 a month. You can give money to this charity and then uh, it will just come straight out of your bank account and then we can turn into an evil corporation and take over the universe and then kill babies and small children and women. Jeff Lloyd, um, Annabelle Port, Adrift. How old are you, Danny? Oh, gosh. Do you have a showbiz age and a real age? I do, just... I do. This is a question that... I've never answered in public within this industry. Okay, then we, we don't have to answer it. I always lie about it. I was in a room of writers the other day and they were talking about how long they'd been in writing and uh, they were like going like five years, six years. And then I, I said like since 1999 uh, and uh, they all looked at me like, how old are you? And I panicked and I just went, I'm... <laughs> do, you have a, do you have an age or do you have a level of success at which you think you will just be able to reveal your own age because it won't matter anymore? Yeah, probably. I, I've always had this really silly thing that I've seen myself like 
in tandem linked to David Beckham. He's one year older than me, and I've always felt like in that year I could achieve Beckham-esque fame. You know, that I could have that year to catch up. So if if I became as famous as David Beckham, I would feel comfortable saying my age. Um, but, but until then, people will need to uh, look at David Beckham on Wikipedia and then do the maths. Yeah, I, I've studiously gone through and like sort of chiselled it out of, of lots of profiles. The, re- uh, the reason I mention it is I'm just wondering if you'd, you'd uh, hit the age where you're a slave to your bowel yet. No, I heard you talking about your bowels the other day. It's it's not uncommon for me. Um, no, I, I'm I'm not. I'm, my bowels are kind of okay. I think. So I had yeah. a, you know yet another incident where I was out and about the other day, and all of a sudden the need took me, and the 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 closest venue was a rough looking pub opposite a train station. So I went in there. It's the middle of the afternoon, and straight away it was you know it's um. um American Werewolf in London stuff. It was full of day drinkers of a certain type, and there was horse racing on a big screen TV. And my pain, there's shorthand there, right? We all know the type <laughs> of pub I'm talking about. So I thought it was too empty to just walk in and confidently head for the toilets. I had to go and order myself a drink, which I did, and then put the um, Diet Coke down on the table, went to the toilet, did my business. I then come out of the toilet and it's a wooden floor. I'm wearing somewhat slippy shoes. I manage in this mostly empty pub to fall over in the most spectacular way. Yeah, I'm grabbing a table on my way down. It doesn't work out. The glass goes on the floor. I go down. I yelp. And then one of the old, um, one of the old drunks looks over and says, he pissed on his shoes. That's why he's fallen over. <laughs> and then I have to just sort of pick myself up and I haven't got to come back or anything. And I just walk out of there humiliated. And, um, there's got to be a better way to handle that situation than that. And that's what I found out in this week's The Incident. Gemma Whelan really is the best of people. She's an actor, but she has a background in dance. As, as somebody who has spent a lot of their career dealing in the business of movement and... and um, <laughs> And poise. Like, how could I have handled that situation better? I mean, I'm, I was, I'm shocked that you went down, fully down. I thought it might just be a little whoops, but yeah. you recovered. Like, no, you right the fully... way over. I, did, you get, I did, like, did you get up immediately and try and sort of style it out? Yeah, I tried to do that thing where I put one hand up in the air like, I'm all right, everybody, I'm all right. I think it might get a laugh, which it didn't. Oh, so you didn't even so you did try to sort of involve people. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I didn't make any eye contact. Yeah, Um, (laughs) you just put your arm in the air. Yeah, you know, like like waving it around. I'm all right. But I was thinking about. Do you know? Do you know the film Flashdance well? Oh, I do know Flashdance very well. Do you know the scene with uh, the song Gloria? Yes, I do. The routine, and then she goes over, and it's. People are all, there's a sharp intake of breath. I felt there was a little touch of that to it. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> Good, but you, you, um, when you go down like that, I think you've really got to own it, haven't you? You've really got to, like, you could have probably gone a bit further with the uh, the performance of it. Once you'd, like, if you've gone fully down mm. rather than scurrying, just you maybe should have looked around and seen who's seen what's gone on. Is anyone going to come and check them all right oh make a, make so a drama you're saying go, try and try and play it for sympathy maybe I think, yeah, even I think you should have maybe made a dra- more of a drama of it like you might even have got a free drink if you just made a bit more of it you know maybe a bit more of an intake of breath in not in a flash dance way but you know in a you know i'm, I'm in agony I've, I've i've got a problem do you think i could get signed i was just about to ask if i could get signed off then i realized i'm self-employed so you maybe you maybe could have got some compensation from them yes yeah because you could say listen I sat down to wee so there's no chance I I did a wee on my shoes therefore it must be your floor that's got me in this mess in the first place my coccyx has snapped and I I need some I need some compensation how about it can you imagine the type of judgment I would feel from the type of man who frequents that type of pub if I'd said that I'd sat down to wee yeah (laughs) I think you might have been murdered (laughs) I know exactly the kind of people who go in that pub Yeah, I, I'm a sit down. We probably wouldn't have gone down very well, would it? I don't yeah. think so. If you're yeah. um, if you're ever in like that flash flash dance situation, if you're doing a dance contest and you fall over, what are you supposed to, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Oh, get up and carry on. Right. Get up and carry on. Presume that no one's noticed. Get up and carry on and put a massive smile on it. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So that could have been that could have been your alternative, couldn't it? You could have done. You know how they do. You know how gymnasts on the vault and stuff like they really finish it off. Like they land and then they do a flourish. Yes. Like you could have just bounced up and done a flourish. Like you really owned it. Mm. That that could have been. You know, you you could have gone to either extreme, either utter agony and compensation and sit down (laughs) wee, or um, springboard finish. Thank you very much. Uh, That's a that's a gold medal at the Olympics. Phil Neely co-created and starred in the classic sitcom Early Doors, set in a very similar pub to the one in which this incident happened. Well, actually, I I do know, because I've seen a situation like this before, right? Right. so I'll tell you all about it, and I I know how I would have dealt with it, and I think this is how you should deal with it. If it ever happens to anybody again, or anybody listening to to this, this is how to deal with it, right? Yeah. There's a mate of mine... It was me and my girlfriend and him and his girlfriend, and we went out to Bredbury Hall. Now, Bredbury Hall's in Stockport. You know Bredbury Hall. It is. It's, it's, a, it's, a classy, uh, it's a classy joint. It's a classy joint. It's a little place. We're, we're an, old, but, an, older, an older clientele. So we were in there, and his girlfriend, Tina, stood up to go to the toilet and walked right quickly straight into a beam right, and fell on the floor. Right, And everyone sort of <laughs> like, laughed. She said, what should you do? Hey, she had too much. But, and I'm, I'm sure I saw one of her eyes open. And then she closed it again, and she just stayed there. And so uh, we were sort of looking at her, and she stayed down. And then that laughter turns to fear. Right. People think, you know, oh, wait a minute. She could have been seriously hurt here. So, you know, but then she made a classic mistake of, after a minute or so, pretending to be concussed, waking <laughs> up a little bit. And then everyone was laughing again, but more out of relief. Right, right. So, right. What you need to do next time is if you do that, fall on the floor, stay on the floor. The laugh, you stay on the floor. And then it's like, well, hang on a minute. He's really hurt. He's really hurt. <laughs> They'll then call an ambulance because you're really hurt. Everyone's concerned about you. They'll feel terrible because, you know, you're stretched out. Yeah. They've been laughing at you because you've you've tripped and you've fallen. Yeah. You know, but, but now they're thinking – Oh crap! This this fellow's got like a life-threatening injury or something. <laughs> but, so, so at what so stage? You, at what stage do I start worrying about being a drain on the NHS? When you're in the ambulance, right? When you're in the ambulance, come round because I mean, you don't really want to, you know, abuse the national health system. I mean, that is a good point. <laughs> so when you're in the ambulance, and don't let them take you to hospital because that really would be taking a mickey. Yeah. Wake up, and you know the thing is, if, if, if any luck. If your house is near to the hospital or, or, or really on the way home, then, you know, you could get, get – you've got on the lift home off the yeah, ambulance. Yeah, you're, so you're saving your bus fare. Yeah, so you've got a lift home. The people who've been laughing at you feel terrible, and you've come out of it all the better. So that's what I would do, definitely, if that happens. That's my advice. My very funny friend, Lou Sanders, is a brilliant comedian. <laughs> and I just felt like humiliated, and then I, like, I, I skulked out with my, you know, with my tail between my legs. And it's been what's been really eating away at me ever since. It's like I wish I'd have had a good comeback to say. A comeback, yeah. So what? What, oh, what would have been a good comeback in that situation? Oh, 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 I'll be on your shoes if you're not quiet in a minute. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm working. Oh, we haven't pre-recorded. We haven't. I mean, we have pre-recorded it. You didn't tell me. To be fair to me, you didn't give me any warning of the thing. So, so I'll, I'll piss on oh, your okay. shoes. I mean, so I think that's a good start, and there are no bad ideas in brainstorming, Lou. <laughs> we call it a thought shower now. Thank you. Is it a thought shower? Um, yeah. What about? Um, I mean, it helped me to if I could see the guy. Right. You know, that would really help. Cause, d- and they could come up with a person on one like, oh, your nose is so big. Uh, you know, it's like an arm. <laughs> <laughs> Something like this. Yeah, I had two brothers growing up. So I was pretty good at sparring as well. Do you ever, would you worry about hurting oh, his feelings in that case? Or do you think because he'd already said the thing about the piss in the shoes that you can say no, whatever you like? Yeah, you can say whatever you like, but also this is a good one. You should have said, yeah, my dick's that long. Sometimes it's dragging on the floor. Right, so I should have turned it into a boast about my penis. Then, yeah, always. What if he'd said prove it, and then then I would then be the laughing stock in that situation? 
Well, no, because you can't just go around getting it. And we've learned, we've learned anything from all the allegations recently. So you just can't go and zipping yourself in public. Right. So I, t- I know. I wish it was another world as well, but this is the times we live in. So I, I could just say, I won't do that because it's an inappropriate action. And then we'll yeah, there the might pub. be there might be a baby watching, etc. Yes, so yes. the three step attack, you know, <laughs> three, <laughs> three step attack. Really, first of all, you show off that you're strong, yes, and then you call him a pervert for suggesting that he wants to have a look at it. Great. Then you swig back your Pepsi or your cola, yeah, and away you saunter. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is warm and friendly, and you like it. And that's why you're here. You were the one that pressed play, after all, with your thumb. Adrift, with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. You have a lovely thumb. All right, this email comes from Ellie Jershak, who says, in a recent episode, Jeff mentioned that he and Sarah are raising their son, Gene, as a vegetarian. This made me think of my younger brother. My mum and stepdad made a deal that when Arthur was born, Mick, stepdad, could make him a vegetarian like he is if my mum could make him a Catholic like she is. Unfortunately, my brother turned out to be a very fussy eater, spending most of his early years living on just Ritz crackers, cucumber, chips and pasta. He was also one of the smallest in his class and very pale, but those are family traits. At age 18, he announced that he'd like to try meat just to see what it was like. He started with sausages, then burgers, then chicken, then fish. My brother is now probably the most carnivorous person I know and will eat just about any kind of meat you put in front of him. as if he's trying to make up for all of those years of animal consumption he missed out on. My stepdad was not too disappointed by this decision, though. As my brother pointed out, he stopped being a Catholic long before he stopped being a vegetarian. So technically Mick still won, even if Arthur does hold him personally responsible for the small and pale situation. Um, Yeah, I'd I'd like to think that my son won't turn out to be this... this, slaughter of animals this consumer of animals but uh at the same time like i I like the idea that he uh, i'm not putting blood on his hands he gets to make that decision himself i'm i abdicate responsibility um your kids, how, how are they as eaters? Are they good eaters? Well, they, they are, but I, I can really relate to that email because I was a vegetarian for the first 24 years of my life. So uh, what happened and then? then? Well, um, you decided you hated animals after all. No, it's really specific. It's strange. I, I Actually, I have to confess I was a, a kind of pescatarian. I did eat fish. Right. But, but um, I had an allergic reaction to some tuna fish that made my head swell up. Like and, Frank Sidebottom size. Yeah, exactly. And I thought I was dying, essentially. And it was a weird sort of like, um, you know, it was like a near-death experience. I really did think I was dying. Get him some uh, beef. It's the antidote <laughs> to tuna. But I got really phased by what I was eating. So I, I, at that point, I got really fussy and weird about what I was eating. And my uncle, who's a doctor, said, try some chicken. It's hypoallergenic. Uh, you know, you can't have an adverse reaction to it. And as soon as I tried chicken, it kind of broke the seal. It opened a Pandora's box. Right. And the meat came flooding out. And right. So then I tried bacon, sausages. And I did become very carnivorous. I, I now like steak tartare. Uh, do you bother with vegetables at all? I, I do, but... The steak tartare's about as carnivorous as it gets, No, really. no, totally, totally. But, um, but I don't know. I think part of it maybe was that thing of feeling slightly repressed being brought up. And so this actually feeds into your son and yeah. how you treat him. I, I think I was brought up by someone who'd, who had been a Catholic and had become an atheist and had been a meat eater and become a vegetarian. And I think I always felt a little bit like it was being imposed on me. And I think I always kind of wandered around my grandparents and saw pictures of the Pope and thought, ooh, in, in, interesting, is is there something I'm missing out in religion? And but why should, why should meat well? be the default, though? Like I never grew up feeling like meat was imposed on me. I grew up in a, a, a sort of a kind of quite quite a tough school, I guess, in the northeast, and um, and I was the only vegetarian. And the headmistress at the time couldn't understand it at all, and she got really angry that not only was I a vegetarian, but I was also a fussy eater. <laughs> and there was this one time that has undoubtedly scarred me, which is where I wouldn't eat baked beans, and she said, 
you know, you're a vegetarian, how can you not eat baked beans? This is what you're having instead of meat. And I said, I don't like them. The, the tomato sauce, it's like blood. <laughs> and she stood over me. The next day she came back and she drained some baked beans of their tomato sauce and stood over me and made me eat these cold sauceless beans and this I, is horrendous. I, I, I wept salty tears into them this is horrendous I do think some people I don't know if it's still the case but some people who were in education or at least roles where they had to deal with children in those days did it through a dislike of children rather than a want to work that's horrendous I, I tell my wife my Swedish wife stories of my teachers when I was a kid and she can't believe some of the things that I tell her about like the, the teacher who lined us all up and punched us in the stomach to test our reflexes you are kidding. No, 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 no. Seriously. And, uh, I, How I, were your reflexes? Uh, well, a little sore after he punched them. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, and when I was about five, we had a teacher who would throw chalk and a board rubber and, and keep a tennis ball to throw at us. Yeah, because I think um, corporal punishment had gone away, but there was still a grey area of things like chalk and board rubbers, right? Yeah, I think you could, you could still throw things at children. <laughs> yeah, but um, <laughs> but we're, I mean, we're, we're deviating from the vegetarianism thing, but I think it, it is a real ethical question about bringing up your children in the way that you are but yeah. but i've always felt like if you do it mm. it's weirder to not bring your kids thing up bring bring your kids up like that isn't it i think so and i don't i don't understand why the meat should be the default especially yeah really? uh, yeah and I, I plan on taking him to uh see a few slaughterhouses things just to traumatize him <laughs> okay. and just make sure it sticks interview uh, in, introduce him to morrissey yeah maybe not until we're all caught out pretending we know what we're doing we don't, obviously. Mm, it's quite apparent. Adrift. I wanted to ask you about um, Haunted, the, the podcast you're hosting and writing. Can you tell me tell me about it and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. It, it came out of... I, I was writing a play which was about a relationship between two people where um, the woman felt there was a ghost in the house and her husband didn't believe in ghosts. And I was really interested in this clash between sceptics and believers and about how... I don't know if you've had this, but when someone you know says that they've seen a ghost and the effect that has on the room, and it is kind of like one of the last taboos now that, that to say, you know, because lots of people don't are atheists and don't agree with Christianity, but if someone says they're a Christian, it's not like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said you're a Christian. But right. someone saying they've seen a ghost is this kind of shocker for a well, lot of people. This, this is what's interesting because you're, you're talking on the podcast to people who have had these experiences. And are you not kind of most of your time thinking oh bless you you've had some kind of break from reality you've had this trauma in your life and this is the way that your brain is but you're not you're not sort of instantly in a position where you feel a bit patronizing towards people no i'm not i think i'm very careful to never kind of come out and express my own beliefs on it because i feel like it's important for me to straddle and and to right we, we get equal amounts of emails from believers and skeptics and i think that was always the challenge that we set out to create something that both camps would like. What do sceptics tend to be saying? I think I, I think we all love ghost stories. I, I think there's something deeply pleasurable about ghost stories. And actually, it's a guilty pleasure for a lot of people, but we sort of need them in our lives. And so I think sceptics like the idea of a ghost story, which is dealt with intelligently and which does offer possible explanations for what's happened and doesn't blindly take it you know we're definitely not that kind of you know those tv shows that kind of whip up every single little noise you know we're exploring the kind of psychological cultural social backdrop to these stories and then like one we did recently was about a guy whose um mother had every day and this is in the 70s when he was growing up every day she'd gone into his uh, the kitchen and seen an old lady in the kitchen who said hello to her and then disappeared and it's a deeply odd story. And, and there are different ways to explain it. You could say she's lying. You could say she's mad. You could say she's seen a ghost. And, and we can't know because we weren't there. But just exploring that in itself was fascinating. And then the story kind of morphed and grew. And we discovered that after they'd moved out the house, um, people thought that this ghost was chasing subsequent residents out and was a racist ghost and had been chasing immigrant families out of this house. And so I started to explore this, and I was going through the house's history, looking through the electoral register, and found out on the electoral register that there had been no immigrant families living in this house. There'd been no Pakistani or Indian families in the house. And the whole thing had become an urban myth. It had grown out of this community and change, 1970s Walthamstow, a kind of turmoil of you know racist beliefs and new people coming in. And so for me, that kind of thing is fascinating. It's where the, the people become more interesting than the ghosts. Have you been, for want of a better phrase, shit up by, uh, by any of the stories? Um, th there's definitely moments where... 
I guess for, for me, it's that moment of looking in someone's eyes and feeling, I don't think this person's mad. I believe them. I don't think they're lying. So how do we explain this? How do we get around it? And the one we're doing, we're doing a, a, a Christmas special with two episodes, which is about a group of nurses. So about four people who all saw the same thing. They all experienced this thing, which seems to be poltergeist activity and a manifestation, a sort of a, 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 an apparition. And they all saw it. And And so... It's this beautiful kind of, it has the quality of a, a locked room mystery. It's like a detective story trying to crack it. And you bring science into it, you bring a sceptic viewpoint in. But ultimately, all we have is the teller, you know, and it, do we trust the teller? And if we do, then, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain. How often is like exhaustion uh, or sort of like waking up in the middle of the night a factor in these stories? Well, often, I think. I think that, that is definitely something you can say that, that many ghost stories happen at night. And the reason for that is, is to do with things like sleep paralysis. Because I will often wake up... This is a, this is a nice insight into my life. But I will often wake up screaming and think I can see things and think like a portal into hell has opened in the bedroom <laughs> or there's a werewolf. And then I'll, I'll be sort of screaming or shouting and my wife will then wake up and say, what is it? What is it? I'll go, look, there's a portal to hell opening. I say, no, it's just the red light on the television, you know, the standby light on the television. But, I get, <laughs> but then I think if, if I... Um, it, to me, sometimes it's miraculous that I did find somebody to be my life partner and if I hadn't if I'd just been alone I I don't know if I would have been disavowed of these notions yeah I I think I mean have you had that thing where you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't move you're paralysed because this sleep paralysis which I've had as well and and is genuinely very scary and I think a lot of people aren't aware of it I'm surprised how many times I mention sleep paralysis to someone they haven't heard of it but it's quite common and, and it's where your your sleeping mind and your waking mind kind of get stuck in this kind of no man's land it gets wedged and so the um hallucinatory images of your dreams plays out in the real world and so you can see people in your room the kind of stuff you're describing and you often hear people calling your name yeah. as well and um it, it's it's very common and very unsettling and if you don't understand if you don't know what it is then you will tend to put it down to a ghost you know and and clearly the ghost is a far more exciting <laughs> explanation than someone giving you all the scientific background of it. Have you got any ghost-busting equipment? Uh, I haven't, but I went on a ghost hunt the other day. Uh, one of our episodes took place on a, on a ghost hunt, and I went with this person who was a ghost hunter and had become an arch sceptic, and so she kind of, like, deconstructed the ghost hunt for me. But they had this strange thing, which was like a, a computer program which threw up random words, like sort of um, escape, death, uh, fantasy, uh, horror, and the idea... Was These words the... aren't sounding that random to no, me. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no cause yet. Cheese, yeah. broccoli. Yeah. But, uh, the, the idea was that the ghost could tap into this thing and, and like, you know, influence the words. And, and for me, I was like, I, I can believe in many aspects of ghosts contacting us, but the idea of a ghost getting into the computer and sort of rewiring it, I, I just didn't go along with that at all. But, but I think, you know, we do, in a way, we need to invent reinvent ghosts for the modern age you know now we don't really live in a world where we can get spooked by dark corners that much anymore because there just aren't that many dark corners you know everything is so brightly lit and and we kind of need to be haunted by facebook and um you know tinder and you know this is how we should interact with ghosts. have you had any uh, any any hauntings via social media um, no, but I think, like phantom status updates and so on. Well, there's a guy who's been rewriting. There's a classic book called Phone Calls from the Dead by this guy called D. Scott Rogo, who was also mysteriously killed. And that was in the 70s. And it was about people getting phone calls supposedly from dead relatives. And this bloke has been updating it. And he has been looking at things like text messages from the dead. But, you know, I mean, the way that Facebook keeps a dead person's profile alive, you feel there's a huge amount of scope out there. Just like, you know, when you've lost a friend, I mean, I, I you know, I lost a, a good friend recently and, and, you know, he's still on my Facebook thing and I, I've still got, you know, like all my WhatsApp messages from him. And, you know, whenever his name pops up, it sends a little shudder through me. Yeah, I've had a, a similar thing whereby I try and, I've, I've let this slip a bit recently, but I try and keep the number of people I follow on Twitter to either 888 or lower or, or fewer. Is that for occult reasons? Yeah, I don't know why. Why eight eight eight? The only th- connection I can think is that well, subtitles used to be on CFAX, but it's well, just like not sponsored by the casino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like a nice number, and and so periodically I will go through and start unfollowing people who haven't tweeted for a while or who you know have aggrieved me in some way. And I have a, f- a couple of friends actually who've died, and I just can't unfollow them. 
And I don't know what, what that is. Like, why shouldn't I be able to? It's not like I will ever see anything. You know, the best case scenario is that they get hacked and I start getting tweets about sunglass dis- sunglasses discounts. And yet I still can't bring myself to do it. I, I was just thinking that's a possibility, isn't it? Like, I've had some Facebook messages that are phantom spam things from friends recently. And that could happen to a, a dead person's account. And... Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not spam. Maybe they're just trying to get you a good deal <laughs> yeah, from the true. other side. <laughs> Uh, so how often how often do the episodes come out? You're doing series, right? Yeah, we are. We, we, it comes out every week, every Tuesday, and and it's going on till um, Boxing Day. Um, uh, so it, it's um, we've got this double episode for Christmas coming out, which is this episode that takes place, this series, that, um, this story that takes place in the old Middlesex Hospital in London, and is very creepy. Nurses tell the best ghost stories. And Cold Swedish Winter is back on the radio next year. Back in the summer, so we'll be over in, in Sweden recording that again. Great. Anything anything you'd like to say to me? Uh, sorry about I was just not, hoping for a, saying goodbye to you properly just, at the uh, Swedish church. Uh, the apology's unnecessary. A substantial good, goodbye will be fine. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> goodbye. I love you. And that was our podcast. Thanks to Danny for co-hosting. His excellent podcast is called Haunted. You really should subscribe to that too. As I mentioned before, I would love to hear from you. Share your story of being socially inept with me and your fellow drifters. Usual kind of topics. Shyness is nice, being trapped in a social situation. Maybe excuses you've used to avoid an interaction. Pretending to know what you're doing. Lies that you've blurted out just to make conversation. Email hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to Man on the Echo for the backing music. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday and you're in the London area, they are playing their final gig of the year tonight at the Windmill in Brixton. I love this band. You really need to hear them, you know, not just the instrumentals, you need to hear the melodies and the lyrics too. Go see them tonight, if not, get their album. Thanks to Emily Harrison for the incidental music during the incident. And my advisors this week were Gemma Whelan. Gemma's in loads of stuff. I saw on Instagram that she's in an episode of The Crown on Netflix. And of course, Game of Thrones as Yara Greyjoy. Although I can't remember what happened to her character in the last season. I can't remember if it was left ambiguous as to whether she's still alive or not because of her diabolical uncle, Caspar Yule of Borgen or the Iron Isles, I forget which. Thanks to Phil Mealy. You can see him in the stage version of Early Doors in Manchester next year, although I think they may have sold out all the tickets already. Get him off a scalper, off a towel. And thanks to Lou Sanders, who makes me laugh as hard as anyone ever does. She is so funny. If you get the chance to go and see her live, you should. She is special, that one. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox made our idents. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Carla Gowlett took the photos and Kim Rainey made our artwork. Really appreciate you downloading the podcast. If you value it enough to spend time with us every week, would you be willing to make a contribution to help keep Adrift afloat? If so, go to patreon.com stroke adrift. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com stroke adrift. And finally, thanks to the nation of Sweden for providing us with so much fodder for this week's episode. All right, on to the podcations. The first one comes from Colin Anderton, who says, Hi, Jeff and Annabelle. If Annabelle isn't back, it's safe to assume she listens to the podcast. Without Annabelle's biro, let me declare how much I'm enjoying the podcast. Damn you for sneaking that under the uh, uh, under the radar. And if it helps, I find it much easier ke- keeping up to date with a weekly show than the old daily one. So this is great. I'm happy to be a patron, especially as I feel I get great value for money listening to Jeff's difficult requests for donations. Um, he says that bit is the epitome of the what the show is about. If only it was deliberate. Yeah, it's it's just genuine discomfort is what that is. But I really appreciate people who um, do donate on Patreon. It's I can't stress enough how um, how grateful I am and how handy that is coming in at the moment. 
Uh, what else do you say? Anyway, the reason for this email is that I'd like a publication for my daughter, Lily Anderton, who turns six on the 16th of December. Normally, I would roll my eyes at publications for children, and I suspect once upon a time you would have too. But now you've both had kids, maybe you've forgotten what a bore it is. No, I, I, still, I think I still understand it's quite boring. Not that I ever thought publications were. Like, I, the, the only thing I ever thought about when, or think about when publications happen for children is that those poor children having to listen to this, they're not going to enjoy it. Like, why, why? I don't understand why any anybody would enjoy it to some extent. But I, I think like life's got to have ground you down a little bit um, to really relate to this podcast. So you know, I don't feel sorry for them. But anyway, uh, happy birthday, Lily. Oh. He, uh, he says, but where, bear with me, but this, I think this is important. An injustice has been carried out in the world, and all I can think uh, of is to help repair it. You see, my wife, Alison, and I have two children. Esme is eight, and therefore the older of the two. Alison loves Esme. In Esme's first six years of her life, she had no less than three beautifully handcrafted cars with her photo on, uh, displayed during CBB's birthday time. Birthday party. It's a heavy fun. Birthday. I don't know the song well enough. I thought I'd give it a go, um, but it turns out I don't know the words. Um, I'm not even sure that I'm allowed to sing it anyway because of copyright reasons, which I suspect is why the channel CBBS has its own birthday song, so they don't have to pay the royalties on Happy Birthday. Um, wow, three handcrafted cards displayed during CBB's birthday time, read out by her favourite presenters. Favorites need to know. I like Rebecca. I think you know. Really, if I sent in a card and it wasn't read out by Rebecca, I'd feel a bit like going to Buckingham Palace to get a knighthood. And it's one of those weeks when the Queen's off or Prince Charles is off, and you get a minor royal doing it instead. Uh, I don't know what else we say on here. Alison should be proud to have created these masterpieces, but here's the problem. Lily has so far had no cards on CBBS, not even a failed submission. Nothing. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you could do something, Colin. You could draw a lovely card and send it off to CBBS, but I can't do that. I'm a proper failure when it comes to creative talent. There's no chance it would make it onto the TV, and I'm not sure that I could stand the rejection. I was rejected from a job interview once because of a combination of the photo they took and their handwriting analysis. Oh, that's harsh. That is harsh. CBeebies rejecting my artistic abilities might be too much to take after all. But what I can do is tell Lily that Jeff Lloyd is a very famous superstar and Annabelle knows the name of every celebrity baby and that getting a podication from their show is a bit like getting a letter from the Queen. Six-year-olds are, generally speaking, pretty stupid, so I think they'll fall for, uh, she'll fall for it. So if you have it in your heart to correct this dreadful act of favouritism, then I beg you to podicate this week's episode of Adrift to Lily Anderton. She's a cheeky pest. But that's mainly my fault, so she deserves this tiny recognition. Thanks, Jeff. Peace and love. Lieutenant Colonel Colin Anderton. Well, let me see Let me see what I can do here for you. So um, hopefully Lily hasn't heard anything up until, until this point. So what you want to do is in a few seconds press pause, and then I will... Um, I'll read out the publication to her in, in a way that maybe she'll enjoy. I don't know. All right, on to the next birthday card. And this this is beautiful. I mean, look at this. It has on it all all the things that a six-year-old would like. I don't actually know what they are because I've got like a 19-month-old and he's into Teletubbies and In the Night Garden and Twirly Woos. And I suspect that these things are maybe a bit babyish for a six-year-old. So it hasn't got any of those things, but it's got everything that a six-year-old would like on it. It is beautiful. It is a tableau of uh, all a six-year-old's favourite things. Uh, and the, the Artistically, it's excellent. The, the handwriting, the penmanship is beautiful. Uh, it's The materials are, are wonderful. There's a lovely mix of glitter and um, felt and wool and some felt-tip pen and wax crayon and pencil, like mixed media. It's just a wonderful... And who's this? who's this photo? Who's this great-looking person here? 
Ah, it is only Lily Anderton, age six. And the card says, happy birthday, Lily, with all our love from your dad, Colin, and your mum, Alison, and your sister, Esme, your big sister. So have a wonderful birthday. Um, very, very many happy returns. And um, we, everybody here in um, in the Adrift Podcast house, because they have a CBeebies house, so we've got one as well. I mean, really, it's just my house. But um, maybe it's their house. Maybe Rebecca and Andy and all those other people live together in that house. I don't. Anyway, we're get, we're getting bogged down in that. Happy birthday, Lily! I hope you've had a, a wonderful one. Okay, I think we uh, think we got away with that. Um, we'll leave it there. I've got some other email, but it's not date specific. I don't think so. If you would like a podication, email hello at adriftpodcast.com. And for now, happy birthday to Lily Anderton, age six. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Hey, 